and uh, especially to those that are uh, joining the webinar from Europe. I know this is your, your Friday evening, so I, I will do my best to, uh, to not disappoint. And uh, as Sergio said, I'll run through the presentation. You're, you're welcome to uh, ask questions through the chat. And then at the end of the presentation, we'll open it back up and, and we'll have a question and answer session. So bear with me one moment while I, I share my presentation. Uh, great, just uh, make sure you can start your audio again, okay? Craig, you're muted, and your slides are in uh, not in presentation mode. You got to go to the other screen. Oh, thank you. There we go. You look great. Very good. It, it works much better when you're not muted. So what I'd like to do is, is walk through uh, a very quick uh, introduction to, to Shannon and then really jump right into the transactional problem solving process. And so if I move to the next screen, Shannon as an organization was, was founded in 1947 by Dorian Shannon and through much of our history, uh, we really focused in on and were known for solving technical problems. And, you know, if you look at what Dorian would reflect on his uh, greatest achievement, it would be working on the reliability of the lunar excursion module as part of the Apollo missions. And, and I think anyone uh, either part of Shannon or certified as a uh, uh, a Red X apprentice journeyman or master would have, you know, a, a project as a highlight of their career in terms of what they've worked on. Uh, but today, I really want to reflect on um, business process problem solving and, and give you, you know, an, an in-depth overview and an opportunity to jump in and uh, really understand that process and become uh, certified on the business process problem solving side. And, you know, just very quickly, you know, where we're at today as an organization, uh, I work out of our office in Detroit. Uh, we have an office in Seattle, uh, Sao Paulo. Uh, I have several colleagues uh, joining the webinar from our Munich office, uh, Bursa, Turkey, Pune, India, and, and Shanghai, China. So, you know, over the years, we've really expanded and, and we're extremely proud of the fact that we can deliver our services in multiple languages around the globe. And in terms of you know, our, our mission, we want to empower organizations and their people to solve and prevent complex problems. And we really do that by developing and applying unique strategies and techniques to isolate the critical factors that are impacting performance. And we do that in three very distinct areas. Uh, the upper left 
is our process for solving technical problems. It's called factual. Uh, the upper right is our process for solving business process problems. Uh, it's called detail. And that's what I'll uh, really spend the webinar today discussing. And in the lower portion of the screen, it's our process for preventing problems, resilient engineering. And, and all of this is really coordinated under the umbrella of rolling top five. And that would be, what are the, the right opportunities for the organization? Where do you want to focus your resources to create the greatest benefit? Technical problems, business process problems, problem prevention. So next, I'd like to talk about really the foundation of, of transactional and, and really where, where transactional problem solving originated was, was back in 2003. And, and we had several customers that said, you know, we, we've had such good success on the technical problem solving side using really the Y to X thinking, the Y to X strategies. Um, would you mind taking that and, and applying it to the business process world? And, and we were, very eager to do that. And, and it was quite, quite an interesting revelation because we, we kind of looked at it as, you know, for many decades, we had been solving technical problems and, and, and we felt we were, we were pretty good at that. And, and if we could solve technical problems, why wouldn't be, we be able to solve business process problems? That one of the, the early lessons that, that we learned is that when you look at, at technical problems, they're always grounded in the laws of physics and geometry, and, and you can't violate those laws. And, and what we quickly learned in the business process world is there's an infinite number of ways that people can adapt, modify, screw up a business process problem. And, and, and so it wasn't you know, quite the simple adaptation that, that we thought it would be. But nonetheless, it, it, it's built on the, the foundation of, of what we've done in solving technical problems. And, and so in the technical problem solving world, you know, we, we approach things from a, a Y to X perspective, going from the effect back to the cause that matters the most. And, and we carried that through in, in our transactional problem solving process. Uh, the whole idea of a progressive search, uh, splitting the world between where the problem lives and doesn't live. Uh, the Pareto principle, uh, leveraging the Bob and Wild contracts. Uh, and then the last Red X principle, talk to the parts. We, we carried that through, except instead of talking to the parts, we talked to the occurrences. And, and of course, those occurrences are, are the Bob and Wilds relative to a business process problem. And in terms of the business process problem solving transactional, uh, one of the things that we do that, that's very unique is, is we use a, a function-based strategy for solving problems. Rather than looking at it in terms of uh, a process or, or sequence-based approach, we use a function-based approach. And, and I'll emphasize that as I walk through an example. We talk to the occurrences, much like talking to the parts, that helps us uncover the failures. And we work from a, a foundation first approach where, where we're looking at what are those 
core or foundational business process problems uh, that we need to address first. So we have a hierarchy of how we're going to attack the problems. And, you know, we've applied those over the last 18 years in a number of different uh, environments, uh, product development, validation, logistics, production control, uh, information technology, implementation of systems like SAP, uh, finance, accounting, uh, a wide range of, of applications. And, and from each one of those, we've learned and, and honed the, the problem solving process. And the problem solving process that we use, we, we call detail. And it's six steps that, that really quickly help you uh, stay on path and, and very much focused on converging on what are the foundational problems in your business process problem that you have to fix. And, and so we define the project, we execute the function model, we talk to the occurrences, we assign priority, implement corrective actions, and then leverage the results. And, and I'll walk through each one of these steps for you uh, in uh, an example. So step number one is to define the project. And, and there's nothing, you know, earth shatteringly new or exciting about that, but it, it's really absolutely critical that there's a good solid definition of the, the problem in the project at hand. And, and so to set up the example, let, let me talk about the, the project definition for the example that we're gonna use. And, and so we have a, an organization, Acme Manufacturing, and, and what they're really struggling with is, is really having smooth, trouble-free launches. And, and when they took a, a look at why they were struggling with launching product and, and launching it smoothly and successfully, what they realized is it was their prototype builds that, that were really the issue. And, and what was happening is they weren't getting the prototype builds done in, in a timely fashion such that they could get the product fully validated, they could get the kinks in the process fully worked out. And, and they said, this is an issue that we really need to address. And if we don't address it, you know, we're gonna continue to stumble and disappoint our customers with new launches. And so they, they made an array of uh, powertrain products, engines, transmissions, axles. And uh, the focus right now was on engines because they had a, a number of, of launches coming up. Uh, and the next one coming up was a, a heavy duty engine. And, and so we look at that and, and we look at the next platform, platform A was a model year 2020 product. And, and when we went through and, and evaluated, you know, the delays associated with um, building the prototypes and, and delivering them in a timely fashion, the biggest delay was associated with gathering the parts so they could build the engines. And, and when we looked at that in terms of the functions that, that were not being achieved uh, associated with that, it was the functions of both timely picking the parts and picking the right parts for the prototype build. So our, our project statement is to find and improve the critical functions 
causing incorrect and untimely parts picking on the 2020 heavy duty prototype engine builds to ensure a trouble-free launch. And, and from a, a data gathering standpoint, you know, this is a breakdown of the duration of days associated with each step in the prototype build process. And, and as you can see, you know, took longer to get the parts than it actually did to build the engines themselves. And, and, and clearly there's something wrong here. And from a high level standpoint, you know, the process, you, you, you order the, the, the prototype engine order comes in. From there, uh, a pick list is created uh, that they need to gather all the parts. Uh, some of those parts are production parts. Some of those parts are, are new prototype parts. Uh, from there, they're all kitted and then they're moved to the prototype build lab to be built. And, and of course, the big delay is getting the parts and getting the right parts to the prototype build lab. So we've got our, our project defined. And then the next step that we're gonna move into is, is to execute the function model. And, and this is where we look at a business process problem, not in a sequence-based approach, but in a function-based approach. And, and, and what that allows us to do is really look at processes and, and, and simplify them in terms of the functions that need to be achieved and then be able to look at those functions in terms of a bottom line contrast. Where are the, the best yeah. of the best and worst of the worst in terms of executing those functions? So if I look at a, a business process problem and, and, and I think about it, business processes themselves are, are, are very dynamic. They're, they're not static. They, they were built with a framework and, and you're always adding a, additional processes, a, additional functions. And, and oftentimes that's where the problems are, are introduced. And, and so the function model is a great tool to break a complex business system down and, and, and really understand where your problems are. Now, in terms of the function model itself, uh, I don't really expect you to be able to read the, the function model that's on the left. But what I wanna fo focus on is, is what are we trying to do? And, and what we're trying to do is start with our, our high-risk function. And, and that's what's in green on the left. And we wanna to move to the right asking, how do you achieve that function? And, and we continue moving to the right until we get to the foundational functions. And then once we have that, that function model complete, we look at all the functions that, that are taking place and we ask ourselves in terms of the next step, talking to the occurrences, is this a known failure mode? Is it a potential failure mode? Or do we have potential for human error associated with this business process problem? And, and so those will be the boxes that get the bold red, the dotted red, or the light red boxes. And, and those are, of course, the areas that we're gonna focus on to try to improve. 
And, and oftentimes, once we talk to those occurrences and we understand what's going on, we revisit the function model and, and we change it. We, we optimize it based on what we learn. And where we change the function model from the existing process, we code it in, in blue. And, and so what we want to do is we want to move to from the left, from our high risk functions that we know are failing to the right, the foundational functions that need to happen to make our critical function happen. And, and now to break that down into a little bit more detail, this is just a, a portion of the, the function model that, that goes into uh, picking and, and timely picking of the right parts for the prototype build process. And, and so you notice we start with our, our green box, pick the correct parts for the prototype build. And in parallel or simultaneously to picking the correct parts, we have to pick them in, in a timely fashion. And, and so that would lead into uh, another branch of the function model related to time. But I just want to focus right now on, on picking the right parts. And in order to pick the right parts, you have to know which parts to pick. You have to know where they're at. You have to have the correct location for the parts and you have to verify that they've been received. So those are the, the higher level functions associated with picking the right parts. And, and from there, we're going to dissect each one of those to get ourselves to the, the foundational level inputs that we need to know and understand. And, and without getting into a, a whole bunch of detail, as we break down uh, ensuring the parts are located in, in the correct location, uh, the issues that, that we came up with or, or unveiled had to do with not the production parts, that was pretty, pretty easy and straightforward, but it had to deal with the prototype parts. And, and that's where, where most of the issues were. And, and, and what was really um, uncovered, quite frankly, as the biggest problem in terms of, of talking to the occurrences, you know, the, the bobs and wows associated with picking the right parts had to do with actually getting the right rev level uh, of the prototype parts themselves. And, and so now leading into what I've already talked about is once the function model is complete, we talk to the occurrences. You know, we identify the Bobwell contracts. Where is it happening right? Where is it happening wrong? And, and of course, in this case, it was happening right with the production parts. It was happening wrong with the prototype parts. And, and then within all the things that were going wrong with the prototype parts, the biggest issue was getting the right rev level of the prototype part that we need. And, and so we go through this uh, analysis process where we identify the fail functions, those that are in the, in the red boxes. Uh, we understand the failure modes, we classify the functions, and then we expand or optimize our function model based on what we've learned. And, and so if I look at that in, in talking to the occurrences, uh, what I've got here is a list of all the different specific occurrences, those items that were identified with the red boxes. And, and if I take the items on this chart here that are all related to um, the prototype parts in the right design level, the right rev level, and I stack them up, 
it's very clear that, that the biggest issue that we have is in the prototype parts, when we go to pick them, they're not of the right rev level that we need. And, and so that was really the, the biggest occurrence that, that we had to deal with. And, and so that leads into assigning priority. And, and it was very clear based on the foundational functions and, and stacking the like events on the Pareto that the right lev rev level was the biggest issue that we had to challenge. That was our number one foundational function that, that we had to address. And, and so looking at uh, assigning priority to that and looking at it in terms of a, of a responsibility matrix, properly performing design changes on the prototype parts was, was the number one focus in terms of uh, assigning priority and then going to corrective actions. And, and the failure mode would be delays or errors in the design change process resulted in parts delays for the prototype parts themselves. And, and, and at this point in time, it wasn't exactly clear why. We, we really didn't understand what was the big issue with getting the right rev level at the right time for the prototype parts. So in that case, what we did is we just continued with or developed a, a new function model uh, around how do we handle design changes in the, the prototype parts for the prototype builds. And, and when we look at that function model, uh, again, it, it's, I don't expect you to read all the detail here, but let me blow up uh, an actual specific section of it. Uh, when we look at executing a design change on a prototype part, uh, what was brought to the surface was once the original design was approved and the timing was set, when you made a change to one or several of those parts within that approved design, uh, there was no loop to go back from a leadership perspective and get approval on the impact of that change you were making. And, and, and of course, one of the things that was uh, challenging here is this was an organization that had a global footprint and, and they were doing the development work both in North America and, and in Europe. And you know these changes were coming and leadership on either side, once they approved the initial design, they weren't looking at the negative impact of timing once changes were made to that initial prototype design. And, and so the change that was made in the whole process was now to say, once that prototype design was approved, any changes after that had to go through the leadership team they had to understand the impact of the negative timing on these additional changes and say, yes, you know, we, we can tolerate this and we're going to adjust our timing for it or no, we, we can't live with this change and it's going to have too big of an impact on our overall launch. And so that was the corrective action uh, that was put in place. So based upon assigning the priority and identifying the actions, there's a, a second approval process once the original uh, design was approved. And you can see the actions that were associated with that. And there was also um, secondary actions associated with standardizing the bill of materials 
and, and how these um, prototype changes were communicated uh, electronically. But the bottom line impact uh, associated with that is that it cut the parts picking process in half. So, it, you know, it didn't eliminate all of the issues associated with picking parts, but it cut it in half, which was a, a huge improvement. And, and of course, like any business process, you can revisit it and go after the next largest items from there. And then the last step in the process is leverage. And, and that's to take the lessons learned associated with the, the heavy duty engine and now read it across to the medium duty engine, read it across to uh, transmissions and, and axles to get the maximum benefit. So this is our, our leverage matrix that uh, would ensure the read across and identify the different areas where we can apply the lessons learned. So now what I'd like to do is, is step away from the example and, and then talk a little bit about developing skills in terms of the business process, the transactional problem solving. And, and so just like with the, the Red X problem solving, we have three levels of certification. We have a, a transactional uh, apprentice, we have a transactional journeyman, and we have a transactional master. And, and so the transactional apprentice goes through the process and learns the basic tools, just like on the Red X side. And then the transactional journeyman goes through the process and learns the advanced tools. And then the master isn't so much focused on learning new tools, as it is focused on developing your skills to coach and develop and, and raise your own transactional apprentices and journey. And you can see from the, the requirements, it, it very much parallels the, the Red X side of, of the Shannon certifications. You know, to be certified as a transactional apprentice, you attend class, you complete one project as a team leader or team member. And then that allows you to move on to the transactional journeyman level. You go to the journeyman class and you complete a, a second project, which, you know, you must be the team leader and is typically of more complexity than your first project. You go through the interview process and, and you have your, your toolbox work. And then on the master side, um, again, very much paralleling the Red X side, You've got to complete three projects beyond journeyman. You attend the master's class. You raise up two transactional apprentices, two transactional journeymen. You have an expanded toolbox, and, and then you have your, your interview. So we tried to keep the business process side as mirrored as much as we could on the, the technical problem solving side. And I had mentioned before that you know we started into the transactional problem solving in 2003. And, and we've been doing this work very much at, at very specific customers and, and having uh, classes, coaching and certification uh, specific to individual customers. Uh, what we're doing for the first time uh, in February is having a, a Shannon sponsored or a Shannon hosted 
uh, transactional class. And, and that will be a, a live virtual class uh, that'll be February 23rd and 24th. And it'll go from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that'll allow folks in, in Europe to participate as well. And uh, the transactional training package would be the class. It would be the transactional uh, toolbox software. It would be coaching to complete a project and then certification as a transactional apprentice. So again, very much mirroring uh, what you would need to do to be certified as a, a Red X apprentice on the technical problem solving side. So I've got one more slide that I'll um, summarize here, and then uh, I will open it up uh, to any questions, uh, comments that, that people may have. So, you know, what do we offer on the business process problem solving side? Uh, standard work for problem solving that's bottom line focused. You know, again, we follow the process called detail. Uh, that very much mirrors factual on the technical side. It's a structured approach to rapidly converge on the root cause of a, a complex business process problem. And it's really independent of the type of processor or complexity. And, and personally, I find that the more complex the business process is, uh, the better transactional works. And, and again, that's because we approach this not from a, a sequence or process flow function, but, but rather from a function-based approach. And, and we start with our, our green Y function or functions that are failing, and, and we work our way back to the foundational functions that are driving those failures. We have a common language and concise visual representation to speed communication and, and discourage tangents. And, and it's absolutely amazing when, when you put a small group of people together on a team and, and you walk through the function model and, and you realize how some individuals have a really good grasp of one part of, of the picture and absolutely no idea what's happening on the other part. And, and what they think is happening is really very different. And, and so you bring everyone to a common level of understanding of the process and, and really what you need to do in, in terms of how to fix it, how to address the wow occurrences in the process really flows oftentimes uh, very smoothly and, and very naturally. And, and so that's where, you know, in the process, we direct all the efforts towards the foundational functions. And, and, and that's simply put, if it's garbage in, it's garbage out. And, and so we really focus in on driving those function models to the far right to identify those foundational functions. And, and again, you know, rolling back to uh, what I said in, in the beginning, you know, we're so excited that we can deliver these services and training uh, around the globe. So with that said, now I am gonna stop sharing and, and open up uh, the webinar to any questions or comments that, that people may have. If you have any question, please uh, make sure that you open your microphone or you can use the chat. Thanks. So, uh, uh, Greg, uh, 
thanks for sharing. This is Raza, by the way. Uh, so thanks for sharing. Great thing, great work, great tools. Uh, my only question is, how do you utilize these tools of transactional uh, approach of problem solving into sometimes, you know, like in the, in the uh, Red X or problem prevention, we have these opportunity statements also rather than problems, right? So how do we connect that function models because we know the current process, we know how it functions, but there are some opportunity on, and on the transactional side, how do we handle those using these tools? So, so Raza, first of all, I, I find it shocking you only have one question for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to be nice here. <laughs> so so let, let, me, let me repeat the question to make sure, sure I understand it, Raza. So what you're asking is how does the business process transactional side uh, integrate into or work with the, the Red X and resilient engineering side? Right. So it, it's interesting, Raza. Um, and, and sometimes there, 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 there isn't any integration at all, right? Um, the, the business process problem solving leads you to foundational functions that, that really uh, have, have nothing to do with technical problems or, or problem prevention. Uh, but there are times when you get down to the foundational functions, what you really find is you have a technical problem that, that needs to be solved, right? Uh, certainly you've run, run across that. Um, on the problem prevention side, I, I really don't have an experience of myself of, of really having the, the two overlap, but um, on the call, you know, we've got uh, Matt Peterson, John Abrahami, and Sergio Lazarga. They, they have, you know, more experience than I do uh, relative to the resilient engineering. So, so let me ask them if, if they've had any situations where they've had um, uh, cross-pollination or one lead into the other. Hello everyone, this is John Abrahamian from Shannon. Um, I have seen the, um, this transactional process be applied before there's a problem, but where people wanna set up a new business process to minimize uh, quality and reliability type failure modes. If you think about at the high level though, what you're trying to do with your business process, those functions on the left-hand side of that function model almost always stay the same. And what they look for is um, opportunities on the right-hand side. So they might start with the current business process, document it and say, boy, out of this one function here in the middle of our function model, there's 10 things to the right of it that we have to do correctly. That's really an opportunity for improvement. There's too many little things that can go wrong or that have to go right in order to create a failure mode. And they'll, they'll take that and they'll look at now, what should our future business process look like? How do we 
um, minimize the risk of problems by redesigning the business process. So you can absolutely apply this before you have a problem. Okay. Okay. So it's pretty much, uh, John, pretty much the same way when we do the uh, problem prevention and we look at the functions, there are so many functions in between how we can, uh, uh, you know, streamline them to make it less risky. That as well as which of the individual functions are high risk in the current process. Correct. Usually new business processes are not a, a revolution. It's an evolution of where you currently are. That is correct. Yep. Uh, especially, you know, when in the digital days now, there are a lot of things which norm, uh, which are legacy processes in, in, in the systems can be optimized more by using some digital tools. That's, that's where I was alluding to. Right, which would be challenging to do if you just did it as a process flow diagram. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Absolutely, you're absolutely correct, yep. And, and, and Raza, this, this is Craig. You know, um, I, I've had a chance to, to think a little bit more on your, your question, and, and I have to take back on, on what I just said. Uh, there was a project that, that we did, um, and, and I'll give you a little bit of the background, uh, a company called Motors Turbines United. Uh, they purchased uh, a competitor, and they wanted to integrate that competitor and that competitor's systems into their own. And, and their, their system that they used was, was SAP. And, and I can't recall the, the system that their, their competitor that they purchased used. But, you know, they, they were very, very concerned about when they rolled in the, what their competitor or their previous competitor was doing in the SAP, would they be missing anything? And so proactively, what we did is, is we didn't really come in um, very specifically to solve a problem. We were brought in to make sure that everything from the competitor's legacy system rolled into SAP. And, and so what we did is, is we developed uh, function models around the SAP system, the function models around the customer's legacy system. And, and we looked to see where the foundational functions matched and didn't match and, and where there were foundational functions in the legacy system that weren't accounted for in the SAP system. And, and we were able to point those out and, and SAP was able to make adjustments before they made the cutover of the legacy system. Mm. Great, great, yep, that's, that's a good explanation. Yeah, that's like, that's what I was just talking about the opportunities. When I said opportunities, maybe yes, problem opportunity, but I think you get into sometimes there are opportunities, even though people or, or the business thinks uh, the way we are doing business is correct, but there are a lot of opportunities. How do we handle that? That was my high level question, but thanks for the explanation, both you and John. My pleasure, Raza. So, mm -hmm. Let's uh, see if so anyone my, else has any questions. So my turn now. <laughs> so, 
So hi, hi, Craig. So thanks. So Chris is here. You you have a slightly bigger audience here. We, maybe we can call them Little Miss Y. <laughs> um, and Mr. X. Mr. Say Mr. X. <laughs> so yeah, um, after yeah, 20 years almost in the automotive industry, right, uh, I left and I now uh, started last month in uh, Bobcat here in Czech Republic. So leaving Brazil to, to come to, to Europe, right? And yeah, so automotive to construction equipment. And yeah, so um, more or less five years ago, I did some training with John Allen and David Hatsham, right? I don't know if you know, oh, you yes. know them in the uh, new science. So, so I have some experience with our factual. So I did the, uh, the apprentice training. So I'm well aware of, of you know, the, the power, right? And, and the, uh, the velocity and, and what, what benefits right, the, uh, this, these tools you know, give you as a company. And um, yeah, in, in Bobcat, there's, I see uh, yeah, in my yeah, two months so far in, in, the, in the position as quality manager, um, see there's lots of gaps, right? lots of you know, uh, opportunities for, uh, yeah, for using these, these tools, right? Um, my, uh, the director uh, is also ex-automotive and he's in the last two years, right? He's brought the company up Right, a long, a long way, right? And just started doing things like 8Ds and FMEAs and control plans, right? So I guess it's a, a hard thing to uh, to appreciate that a company we are like with the caliber of, of Bobcat and Doosan that are not doing all these, these basic things, right? And so, so yeah, so we're, I definitely will be interested in, oh, sorry, I gotta find somewhere quieter. Uh, <laughs> In, you know, in in you know, in obtaining you know, the, these these skills it's at uh, each of our locations right so North America Bismarck right China Shuzu you know Korea and and in Europe uh, so, um, Czech Republic and, and France so so I think maybe we can talk right, I'll reach out to you uh, sometime soon absolutely. Right. Because the, the question is, uh, how much is the how much is the course? So, Christopher, it, it really would depend on the, the number of people and number of projects. So, mm -hmm. have that discussion offline in, yeah. in terms of how big of a scope, and yeah. uh, more than happy to, to dive into detail. But, but mm -hmm. one of the things I can say it is, you know, when you brought up, you know, you're you're implementing 8D. Um, one of the recent projects we did for, for a customer was uh, they went back and they looked at their all their 8Ds, the ones that were effective and the ones that were not effective, and, and they wanted to understand what was different. You know, why, why were they successful with some 8Ds versus others? And, and we actually did a transactional project by creating a function model around how they do that, mm -hmm. what was happening. And, and what was really interesting is when they broke it down, they, they realized their, their biggest problem was um, training and, and, and how well they trained their individuals to use the 8D tools. Mm -hmm. and, and they had Bobwell contrasts uh, site to site. 
And mm-hmm. so based upon that effort, they, they really commonized on the best of the best 8D training and, and rolled that out across the organization. And, and it had a, a really nice impact on the effectiveness of their 8Ds. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good. Um, I uh, trying to think the next, I have a, a, a suggestion for like a different type of, um, I don't know, something that you, you can offer, right? Because um, yeah, when I was in my previous employer, which is ZF, maybe you have some other colleagues from ZF on the phone, um, that when we have a problem where the uh, the customer Ford, GM, Volkswagen, you know, was, their line stopped because of you know, um, missing you know, good quality parts, right? Or some, some quality issue, that the, the, the upper management uh, they would be almost desperate to, to fix the issue. So they give, they, they tell someone to go and you know, use a, the Six Sigma uh, and the tools to resolve. And then they go to another area and say, oh, go, you, go do your Red X thing. And then we go to another area and say, oh, please do your HD and do the brainstorming. So everyone's being busy fools, right, in their own area and using much more resource and slowing down the, the the results. So if we have some sort of yeah, very macro level right, presentation, something to share with you, know, the, the, the directors, the senior managers, the VPs, so you really have this buy-in right, at this upper level. So we understand that we, we should choose the right tool and then do it properly. Rather than choosing three different tools and doing them like half, half-hearted yeah, and, and that's interesting, Christopher, because when I when I started the presentation and I talked about factual detail and resilient engineering, uh, in the center we had rolling top five, and, and mm-hmm. that part is is really owned by leadership, and and, and in the leadership training we we have what we call the problem solving transmission, and, and mm-hmm. it's a six week transmission, and and you shift gears in your problem solving. So, so you move from, you know, letting the natural work teams solve problems to bringing in the experts to moving to a structured approach with basic tools to a structured approach with advanced tools and, and really establish, you know, when do the handoffs take place? And, and it really keeps you from having all these um, independent parallel efforts that waste a lot of time and money. Yeah. But that's like that a question too. Very typical and, and, and we address from a leadership perspective. Okay, very good. Thank you for that. So anyway, yeah, well I guess you've got my email is in the in the invites. I've got yours too. So hopefully the next week we'll yes. in, yes. in we touch, will follow Christopher. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay, thanks. So let's now I have some other business to take care of. <laughs> okay, so thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye bye. Right, so open it up to uh, the next person that may have a question. Yeah, Mr. Manai, Guven Manai, is raising the hand. Oh, Cliff Owens. Cliff Owens has a question also. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Thank you. First of all, thank you for the opportunity to participate here. Um, I would just like to raise a fundamental question, even though you have partially re- replied that. 
Um, if you would like to explain to someone externally um, from a, in a nutshell, the difference from uh, uh, another method uh, like Six Sigma, um, how would you in a nutshell make a summary to explain it? Because it was a bit difficult to explain to our third party peoples uh, uh, this difference. And maybe you can uh, guide me regarding that, Mr. Shiny. I, I, I would bring up three, three points. No, number one, the, the process is Y to X. It goes from the effect to the cause. So, so we're not brainstorming or, or guessing at causes, right? We're, we're starting with the output and working our way to the inputs that matter the most. So, so that's point number one. Point okay, number so the, the opposite way is like, for example, the Ichikawa diagram. Okay. Exactly, exactly, yes. Okay. So, so that's point one. Point two is, is we look at this as a, a function-based uh, process and, and not a sequence-based process. And, and, and oftentimes in, in complex business processes, you, you do your process flow diagram and, and it looks like a plate of spaghetti because it's very complex and you've got all these uh, workarounds and, and do loops. And, and when you break it down from a functional standpoint, um, it, it, it becomes um, more manageable to try to dissect. So that's, that's number two. And, and then number three is, is we take that functional approach all the way to the foundations of the business process. And that allows us to see Bob Well contrast, to be able to leverage the best of the best to the worst of the worst. So, so those would be the three elements that I would summarize that would say how the, the detail process of transactional is, is different than more than the traditional methods that are out there. Okay, thank you. All right, that, that was an easy question. I like those. Uh, one question from my side. Uh, my name is Ondra Duran from Elvis, Germany, Hamburg. I visited also the classroom by John in um, um, reliability engineering to one year ago. Um, I'm in uh, aircraft business and uh, my question is uh, related to the version of uh, Bob and Wow is different than technical one. And second question is uh, when we are in a standard process, like uh, ordering process or um, basically manufacturing process, I think the uh, approach is well uh, applicable. But when I think about our uh, very yeah, ambitious engineering community, they are not following always the process, means we have a lot of variances. How can I apply the uh, this approach uh, to so-called non-standard processes, if I have a lot of variants. And third question related to that is, if the duration of uh, process walking is too long, uh, 
for example, a development of a component takes a long time, uh, more than one month, nearly two, three years. How can I get the occurrences uh, with these limitations? Okay, so so let, let me take the, the, the first question. And, and, and that is, uh, when you look at Bob and Wow, it, whether it's a technical problem or a business process problem, uh, Bob and Wow represents the, the extremes. Now, on the technical side, you, you're typically dealing with the extremes in the parts, right? Let, let's say one that gives you the, the minimum level of vibration and, and one that gives you the maximum level of vibration. On the, the uh, business process side, bobs and wows are, are typically the occurrences. And, and, and so if I think about parts picking uh, relative to the example that I just went through and, and you know, picking the right parts, uh, the bobs were, were always the production parts. And, and the wows were the prototype parts that had addi additional design um, changes once the prototype design change was frozen. And, and, and so again, um, it's still extremes, but, but now we're looking at you know, process occurrences versus parts. Uh, the, the second question, you know, as long as to me, it, it's a process that people can articulate in, in, in terms of functions, um, you know, we, we can apply the, the methodology. Um, it, it really doesn't matter if it's a, you know, mature formal process or, or really a, an immature or um, what would be the right word for it? Um, pro process that isn't so much documented, you know, one, one that you maybe have evolved uh, into. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, related to the third question, you know, if, if the process takes, you know, let's say months to, to, to walk through, uh, what we've done in those situations is we've gone back to uh, previous actions, previous results, and, and we've talked to what's happened in the past uh, to try to help us out and, and move forward in, in a timely fashion. But it's really difficult. Um, I don't, I don't want to say impossible, but more challenging to try to accelerate. And, and, and so from that sense, we've just gone back to the past and, and walk through previous uh, occurrences to say, how did they do? And then use that uh, relative to the changes we want to make and see what happens on future occurrences. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Okay, I would like to ask Mr. Owens, Cliff Owens, to make your question. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Uh, so Craig, great presentation. For me, this was very thought provoking as I, as I sat back and kind of listened to this and thought about projects that um, had been worked on uh, both personally as well as within the organization, you know, many times we are able to 
kind of get to the red X, you know, fairly quickly um, and, you know, uh, drive that improvement. However, you know, sometimes red X issues are caused because maybe we didn't allow enough time during design or, you know, et cetera. And we don't really take that one extra step to try to find out what is it in our business process that allowed this to occur. And I think, you know, the interesting thing, the thought provoking thing for me was to sort of think to myself, you know, what and how do we, we try to take that next step? Because that's not something that would necessarily just jump out uh, in the rolling top five. So um, as a business process issue versus as a, you know, um, you know, more of a red X type issue. So very thought provoking. And, and for me, it's, um, you know, how do we, how do we successfully incorporate that as getting to that next step of, you know, problem solving, because ultimately it, it uh, gives you the ancillary uh, benefit for problem prevention. So just a thought, very, very good presentation. Thank you. And, you know, Cliff, it's interesting because John, John Ibrahimian has a, a phrase that he likes to use, and that is when we, when we get to the end of a um, technical project, right, we find the red X, we, we implement corrective actions. Uh, John likes to ask, well, what's the mother of the red X, right? What, why did this whole situation occur? And, and when you ask that question, oftentimes it, it brings you more to a business process problem. And, and the example that, that I covered, um, the, the main driver behind that was they were launching product before they, they finished all of their validation testing. And, and they were finding you know, failures in validation after they launched. And the question was, why are we you know, having validation failures after launch. We should be having those before we launch. Well, because we didn't get the engines in time to finish the test. So, you know, you could really look at that as, as exactly uh, aligned, Cliff, to what you just said. Yep. <clears throat> Very good. Time for a question. Please Do we still ahead. have time for a question? Yeah, oh, sure. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks, Craig. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Quick question I have is, it looks like the fundamental to all the problem solutions in this way would be the data and the right data. Uh, uh, and more often, the problem is organizations not having the right information, not the data uh, in an organized fashion. What would be your comment to that? Because everything stops right there. We we may have something, but we don't believe if that's correct, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's the situation. That's where everything starts and stops as well. What would be your comment to that? Well, well certainly, you know, and, and, and I'll let, uh, I'd like Matt and Sergio to comment after, after I comment on that. Um, I would find that there's a couple different general buckets um, that, that we see in, in the transactional process. And, and one of those buckets would be uh, the people that are involved in the process think the process happens one way, but it really happens another way. And, and so they understand very well their portion of the process and they think they understand other areas of the process very well, but they don't. 
and, and there's actually steps that are occurring or not occurring that, that, that they think are or are not. And, and, and so that's a big driver of, of a problem. Uh, another big driver of the problem is, is right as you said, the, the foundational information is, is not correct. Uh, and, and an example that, that I would uh, look at for that one is, is we worked a project on uh, inventory. And, and the problem was, to put it more simply, you know, I've got, the system says I have 10,000 widget A in, in location XYZ. And, and when they go to XYZ, they've got widget A, but instead of having 10,000, they have 2,000. And, and, and so, you know, it wreaks havoc with their, their, their production plan. And when we worked through that, what, what it fundamentally came down to is some of the suppliers to, to this manufacturer weren't exactly adhering to the barcode standards. So, so they could read the barcode and, and the barcode would say, you know, okay, I received part XYZ and, and there were really 10,000 parts in there, but the barcode said there's 2,000. And, and, and so it's just as you said, the, the foundational input was fundamentally flawed or, or broken. And, and then the third bucket that, that, that I would say that, that we run across is, is systems where they have large potential for human error and, and, and the system has done nothing to mitigate that risk or, or try to error-proof or pokey out that risk. But I'll let Matt, Sergio, if, if you, know, you want to comment uh, uh, as well, that would be great. Yeah, I can comment to that. Um, and we get into this in the apprentice class in more detail, but obviously best case is when you're ready to talk to the occurrences, you have data readily available and you can go and analyze it quickly and easily. Um, that rarely happens, uh, but it does happen. Next best case is you need to go and collect data to be able to talk to the occurrences. And in fact, in the parts picking case, the occurrence data we use to get down to the design change is the issue. We, uh, we had to go and collect and actually de design a new way to collect that data. Um, so a lot of times we do have to invent new ways to collect data. And that usually is very insightful and, and opens uh, our eyes to many other things than even what we were looking for. The worst case is you have no data and there's no way to collect it. And we also have ways to prioritize the functions that we, we want to improve uh, without the data that we'll go over in the class. But so there are ways to get around not having data, but in most cases we can find some sort of data to use because uh, really without any data, then you, you wouldn't know that you had a problem in the first place. So you have to be measuring something to know that you have a problem you need to solve. And, and we can usually find a way to, to collect the relevant data to talk to the occurrences. The other thing I would say from the earlier question is that um, if you don't have a standard process, um, this, this transactional um, methodology is still applicable because we, we don't go on what is the process or what do you do? We go on what has to go right. And that's another John Abrahamian phrase that I like a lot. 
when we build a function model, we ask the question, what has to go right, not what do we do? And oftentimes the function model is a very powerful tool to get a good, as Craig said, a good overall view of a process, especially if it's not documented somewhere because it pulls in the different pieces and puts it in one place that everyone can, can get a common understanding of. The, the what has to go right versus what do we do is very analogous to in red X going from Y to X, you know, not are the parts to print, it's what's different between Bob's and WoW. It's the same thinking. Um, I don't know, Sergio, if you have anything to add. Okay, thank you very much, Matt. Uh, I would like just to add uh, one experience in a project related to inventory control as well. One of the foundational functions that we, that we found in the function model was the data collection, meaning a person counting how many boxes of material there were in a rack. And uh, the function was uh, register how many boxes you have. But uh, in fact, they didn't have any specific way to register that. Uh, so, so then uh, some of them were using a piece of paper, others were using notebooks, others were using, you know, just a, a note on the palm of their hands with a marker. So it was not a standard process there. And it, 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 it was the source of several counting errors that they had. As soon as it was found, they standardized a, a little very easy to use format for the people to use for counting. And you won't believe the impact it had on the counting of material in the system. So uh, I, I think one of the main advantages of a, a transactional analysis is in fact developing the level of analysis at the foundational functions and flushing out what is the problem there that impacts the whole system. It, it doesn't care if you have a very structured and computational system to support the inventory control if the basic activity that is counting the material physically is weak. So that was found in this analysis. Thank you very much. Thank you, I appreciate it. And we do have um, one question relative to the chat. And, and the question was, can a, an existing Red X master uh, more easily become a, a transactional master? And, and the answer to that question is, is yes. Uh, because a, a Red X master has already been through uh, the rigor of, of how to coach and develop others. So if someone is already a, a Red X master, then what they need to do on the transactional side is really develop uh, their skills in terms of the tools and methodologies. So just getting yourself through apprentice and journeyman and, and doing the additional projects, you, you don't have to go through the class or the development of two apprentices and two journeymen because you, you've already done that from a coaching perspective. So uh, any other any other questions or comments? I know we've got people dropping off because we're we're beyond the window. Uh, but any other questions that we could uh, we could address? Ed, Craig, good question. Uh, Ed Mantia here from uh, South Carolina. I was about to say I, I can see it's also uh, there's uh, plenty of sunshine in South Carolina right now. Or, or yeah, we're blessed with sunshine, so that uh, 
I apologize for that. It's going to be blazing in through the through the window. You want uh, thank you for the sunshine out my window, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed your presentation, Craig. Obviously, uh, you know I'm familiar with the Red X uh, strategies and and uh, uh, working with Shane and uh, early on. I'm very glad to see that uh, you're moving the skill set to the transactional uh, world. That is uh, probably one bridge that um, along the uh, over over time I, I I saw a gap in how businesses organizations I worked in were um, addressing certain problems. Um, and to that point, many larger organizations have their own business their business systems um, established. Um, typically, their own version of the Toyota production system, heavily influenced by lean methods, a Kaizen methodology. Have you found that, how you, what have you found the biggest challenge in positioning um, the transactional approach in Red X to, um, to influence organizations um, to be able to adapt these tools that, as you highlighted earlier without high, um, uh, rehashing everything, the value stream map approach and process flow diagram just kind of leads, uh, it's kind of the, the culture they live by and um, my experience has been while I try to advocate a uh, different approach, a Y to X, you kind of have to repeat it and, and often falls into deaf ears. So, um, so, so, so the approach that I take it, and, and, and I don't want to necessarily say this is the, the, the best approach with it, but, but we certainly do work with businesses that, that have been very successful with more of the traditional methods, uh, value stream mapping, SIPOCs, and, and, and the approach that I take with those organizations would be, you know, look for a problem that is related to a very complex process that you have. Um, because where, where the, the tools, the more traditional tools tend to bog down is, is they struggle with creating that process flow. Right. And, and, and I say, rather than trying to create and digest that process flow, let's create a function model and, and let's look at it, not in a sequence based approach, but a function based approach. And, and, and that's when the, the lights seem to go off and, and, and they start to really say, ah, I, I can see value in this um, because a function based approach is a lot simpler approach than a sequence-based approach. Hey, uh, Ed, uh, this is Dick. Uh, it's great to see you. Great to see you, Dick. Um, I've, I try to stress to people that Shannon is for complex problems, and I define a complex problem as one where the source is hidden. And, and I'm a big fan of 5Y, and especially a 5Y thought process but as I'm sure you've come across, there are many situations where you, you can't observe what's going on. And so the five Y starts to become speculative. And so I often refer to Shannon as five Y for hidden causes. And, and I'm finding that people, people relate to that. And, and so my stress to people is we're not trying to replace what you're doing with lean. We're trying to complement it and help you go faster on those really complex, as, as Craig says, a complex system, a complex problem. So that, thank that you. That's a great way to put it. Yes. 
is more of a complementary uh, yeah. thinking uh, yeah. uh, mindset than, yes. than competing with. And, and as you well know, I show people, if you look at a, a solution tree from a technical project, you can see the linkage layer by layer that would support 5Y problem solving. Yeah. So it's it, it really does parallel. It's um, it, it's an analogy I think works well because it's a good one. It, it fits well. So great. Yeah, and, and thank you, Dick. We look at transactional as complementary, right? It, we're, we're not trying to say you, you, you should just use this and only use this, right? It's the right tool at the right time. And, and, and again, the, the more complex the business process, the, the more applicable, I think, the transactional methodology is. Great, thank you. And again, I'm great to see that uh, you're, you're moving this uh, very valuable mindset and approach to, uh, to the non-technical side. I think it's a, it's a good compliment. And to that point, is that do you find that expands the audience that you need to influence within those organizations? Uh, definitely, definitely, because we're, we're moving into areas that, that uh, you know, had no prior exposure, right? Logistics, production control, human resources. Yeah, they have no clue what RADx is. So, so we're kind of coming in cold. So absolutely. And, Okay, any other, any other questions, comments? All right, um, fantastic everyone. Well, I, I certainly uh, appreciated your, your time to learn more about transactional. I, I hope it was worthwhile for you. And, and if you have any interest in, in going deeper and being certified as an apprentice, uh, you know, please feel free to reach out to me or Matt or Sergio. And, uh, you know, we've got the first uh, Shannon hosted class, February 23rd and 24th. Thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you.